0: It's a brand-new month. This is the 1st of July. Time once again for a wine chat with our friend from Haskell's, Jack Farrell. Good morning, Jack. Hi, Denny. Happy July. Yes, it is, and a steamy one for starters, yes. Not bad. I thought today, because we're so close to the fourth, I would talk a little bit about America and wine. You know, we have had a rocky road in this country Uh from going to be called, when the Vikings discovered North America, Vinland, uh, because vines grew everywhere. Uh, Then we had that nasty experiment called Prohibition, where for 14 years you couldn't get a drink. Well, you could get plenty of drinks in the United States, but legally you couldn't get a drink anywhere. And we've become the number one consumer of wine in the entire world. And that's an amazing, amazing statistic. You know, as I mentioned about Vinland and that, uh, we gave the world, the wine world anyway, this disease called phylloxera. And phylloxera is like an aphid if you're into gardening. Uh, It's sort of a root disease called phylloxera. And phylloxera is like an aphid if you're into gardening. Uh, It's sort of a root louse. And It decimated the vineyards of the world. Well, inasmuch as we gave the world that horrible disease where vineyards were being just couldn't grow. I mean, it was just a tragedy. and It was virtually all over the world. Uh, Well, we sent them the cure. They could be grafted on American rootstock. American rootstock through the years had grown immune to Veloxirum. So today, when you buy a glass of wine from France or Italy or Spain, chances are about 80% that that wine uh, was grafted onto American rootstock. So uh, we gave, as I said, the world the the problem, and we also gave it the cure. And now being the number one consumer in the world, we're also the number one research and development place. Uh, There's a school in California... University of California at Davis, which is devoted to wine and the study of wine, and no one in the world who's anybody doesn't send at least one of their employees or one of their family, etc., to do a little research at the University of California Davis branch. Uh, it was just a remarkable school. And of course, the good news is. We've come out of this prohibition. Of course, it took a long time. There's now wineries in all 50 states, including Hawaii and Alaska. Uh, And some wines are really very, very good. There's some champagnes from New Mexico and Texas that aren't very bad at all. And then 90% of our wine in this country comes from three states California, Oregon, and Washington. And it's just remarkable, the quality of the wine we're producing there. You know, the wines produced in the United States are on a par with any wines from anywhere in the world. It's just remarkable, uh, because after Prohibition, there was not probably 200 wineries in the whole country. In fact, it was far less than that. And the wineries that were open were usually there for, to make wine for religious purposes because when they had uh, the 21st Amendment, it allowed you all uh, to make 300 gallons of wine at your own house. and you, Incidentally, you can still do that. In fact, in the early 70s, we went through a hiatus in the wine business where everybody was making homemade wine and they even had shops around where you could pick up all the supplies for that. And they still have some, but not uh, to the extent it was in the seventies. Almost everybody was making wine. And the good news about that is it got people to drinking wine. The bad news is most people discovered that no matter how good they thought their wine was commercially made, wine was usually a little bit better. And in Keeping with our role as a number one consumer, we are now one of the largest exporters of wine in the world. In fact, our biggest market for American wine is the East—China, Asia, etc. Everywhere from Vietnam to South Korea to Taiwan—you go in those places, and you most—you'd swear you're an American restaurant when you look at the wine list. They're virtually all American wine. So. We are on the cutting edge of technology in this country, and then we're coupling that with the tradition of the other wine-growing areas of the world, and that combination has really been a remarkable thing. In fact, one of the big things that happened in the wine world was in 1976, uh, they had a tasting in Paris run by an American, uh, and they compared all the great French wines to have wines from California, and uh, lo and behold, and uh, the panel was virtually all French judges. The panel discovered that the American wines were better than the French wines, or at least in this particular test. And the test, of course, was debunked by the French. No one can be better than the French on something like this. And it was an absolutely remarkable thing, and it gave Americans confidence. We had Early pioneers like Bob Mondavi, who incidentally was from Minnesota, uh, out there touting wines that ours were world-class, et cetera, et cetera, And this sort of proved him right. And then there was another big thing on 60 Minutes uh, when they discovered that the French lived longer because they drank red wine. And red wine took a spike, and it hasn't uh, gone back down since uh, people, everybody wanted to drink red wine because they said it was good for your heart and indeed it is um, and uh, 60 Minutes was responsible for that and of course there was also that movie Sideways which unfortunately decimated the sales of Merlot and if you're one of those people that doesn't drink Merlot try it Merlot is a wonderful grape type uh, you know the very famous Chateau Petrus which uh, if you can find any, is six, seven thousand dollars per bottle. Per bottle, a seven hundred and fifty milliliter bottle for that kind of price is just remarkable, and it is one hundred percent Merlot. So uh, don't ignore Merlot. It really is a, a wonderful varietal, although it got panned in, as I said, that movie Sideways, and frankly hasn't totally recovered from it since. And that movie was a long time ago. And, and, you know, our founding fathers were big on wine. Thomas Jefferson experimented with growing all sorts of grape types at his property at Monticello, uh, his estate in Virginia, and uh, unfortunately came to naught. But he predicted that one day Americans uh, would be wine-drinking people, and sure enough, we are nowadays. But all the founding fathers had Uh, They didn't grow wine, but they all had cellars. Madeira was the number one thing they consumed, which is a fortified wine from the island of Madeira, and French claret was number two. And when Jefferson was ambassador to France, he went all over the major wine-producing areas of Italy and France, uh, sending cuttings home and buying wine and sending wine home, etc. He was a very interesting fellow, because that was just one of his many hobbies on wine. But there's a book out, it's called Jefferson's Wine Journey, and it's a very good book describing what he uh, experienced in going all over Burgundy, Bordeaux, Italy, etc. And today, as I said earlier, uh, we're now a world player of American interest-owned vineyards in Australia italy spain chile argentine uh it's just amazing to me the changes that have occurred in our wine business and people are uh, once again proud to be uh, in the wine business and proud they have wineries it's become a, a a good business to be in for years uh people looked down on the wine business thought it was something for a feet snobs and uh poor immigrants, but it changed a lot. And in the process, you know, it didn't change overnight. It was a remarkable change that occurred. Uh, For example, when I started in this business, uh, varietal names weren't very common in California. That's Cabernet, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, etc. They would use names like Hardy Burgundy, Fumé Blanc, Chablis, and it has nothing to do with real French Chablis. Those were just the names. And then along came Frank Soonmacher, uh, Bort Sheikman, Alexis Lachine. Uh, They encouraged wineries in California to use the varietal name, and that would set them apart. And, of course, they did, and it has. And uh, today it's just absolutely remarkable. Uh, There are rules around the world, you know, for example, using the word Prosecco. is au courant, really. Uh, That was just added about eight years ago that you couldn't make Prosecco, which disappointed the Australians because they made a lot of Prosecco, and they have to call it something else. Another one was Australia's greatest wine was something called Hermitage, a Grange Hermitage, now it's just plain Grange, because Hermitage is one of those protected names, and it happens to be owned by the French, as Prosecco is owned by the Italians. So there's been a lot of wonderful influences in the Californian and American wine business, uh, and they've become just geniuses on picking the appropriate sites. Recently, there's been an explosion in China of vineyards all over uh, China, and the Pioneers in all that are Americans or students from China who, again, were sent to University of California at Davis uh, to learn about uh, the technology of wine, if you will, and the agronomy, etc. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago if you went into a, a bar, you'd order a glass of white wine. Today, you don't do that. You order a glass of Chardonnay or a glass of Sauvignon Blanc or a glass of Pinot Grigio. And that's really good because uh, that's making people aware of the differences in those and in the process knowing a little bit about it. It's like the geographic part, Russian River Pinot Noir and Lodi Zinfandel are, are names that are becoming more common with us and emboldening people to try other wine types because they know a little bit about it. And, you know, you Everybody wonders about learning about wine. It's not very hard. It's you learn a little bit of geography, is the only difference uh, you have. Because uh, you know we already have Long Island duck and Maine lobsters, and we think nothing of that or Georgia peaches. But it, it, that's the same thing when you're talking about Chianti, Chablis. Uh, those are place names uh, in the world, and that helps you when you're learning a little bit about wine, to learn a little bit about geography and those place names, Rioja, Napa, Sonoma. Uh, and my favorite in the Loire Valley uh, is a wine called Sancerre, which is a Sauvignon Blanc, which I like to tell people is a Sauvignon Blanc with a college education. It's such a good wine type, Sancerre. In fact, a great wine type to have on this Fourth of July. And so The name of the grape, uh, the wine, is not a reason not to try it. Uh, You'll miss a lot of adventures in wine. In fact, I remember when I first started the wine business, I met a woman who wrote a book, Hand Me That Corkscrew Bacchus, and she contended in her book the only way to learn about wine was to pull the cork. And I must say I totally agree with that. Nothing beats the experience of actually tasting a wine and associating that wine with that particular taste. It's really not very hard to do at all. And, you know, today, as I said when we started this out this morning uh, on American wine, in as much as we've become a world powerhouse in wine, the per capita consumption has absolutely skyrocketed. When I started out in this business a long time ago, it was just ounces per capita. Today it's liters per capita, Uh, and that's a huge jump. A lot of people are drinking wine. I think I read a statistic once uh, that about half the people in the United States don't drink, about 45%. And yet on Thanksgiving, 80% of the households have wine with their Thanksgiving dinner. Well, all that says is People that don 't drink are having people over that do and then providing them with a little wine, but it shows the difference and the growth in the United States of the wine business and while we 're not fully mature yet we 're awfully close to it and it 's a wonderful experience it's a wonderful wines that we produce in this country, as I said we rival any area of the entire world in wine production. And quality, you know, we may not have a domain Romani Conti in this country or a Petrus, but there may be one budding, and who knows, it may be budding in some place like Idaho or places where we haven't even thought about planting much in the way of vineyards. Although, as I said earlier, Idaho is one of the many states that does indeed have a vineyard in it. But there it is. Happy birthday, USA. Try a glass of wine today. Absolutely, and you'll find a lot of adventures at any Haskell's location. Yes, the folks at Haskell's love to talk about wine. This is the kickoff today of our huge summer wine sale. when We have 120 bogos to choose from. That's an amazing amount. That's where you buy one and get the second one free, 120 of them. There's a Haskell's near you where you can take advantage of those bogos, Bloomington, Excelsior, Faribault, Maple Grove. Minneapolis, we have free parking on Saturday and Sunday, Minnetonka at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Island Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come in, go to Haskells.com. And don't forget, we do deliver, and once again, have a safe and happy 4th of July. And to you, Jack, your family, and all those uh, good folks at Haskells, let's uh, do this next week. You know, Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. And to you, Jack, your family, and all those uh, good folks at Haskell's, let's uh, do this next week. You know, Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. That's Jack Farrell from Haskell's.